Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, thank you, everybody, for joining me today on this episode of the Born to Talk radio show. My guest is author Sarah Armstrong. Welcome to the show, Sarah. Thanks for having me, Marcia. So happy to be here. Oh, it's it's going to be a really informative show, and we're going to be talking about your book, which is called The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, What to Think Through When Children Are Involved. And for those of you that are listening and want to just um, look at her website, you would just simply go to momsguidetogooddivorce.com, and you can see a lot of what we're going to be talking about today because uh, you're, if, if this applies to you or someone in your family or, you know what, maybe even someone that you're related to that might be struggling, I see this as an absolute blueprint. I think it is an exceptionally, and you didn't ask me to say that, Sarah, but I have to say this <laughs> no, is an, an exceptionally well-written book, and I mean, I really want to congratulate you on that. It's 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 very well written, and and before we get into our topic about your book, girl, you are accomplished. Let me just say that. I mean, you are really something else. And so I thought maybe you could just tell our audience just a little bit about yourself, so we can get to know you. Oh, well, thank you. Well, Marcia, thank you. Thank you for the kind words about my book, too. I'm very proud of it. But uh, um, So a little bit about me. You know, to start, I actually never expected to write a book. Um, I studied marketing in college and played volleyball at scho- on scholarship at Georgetown University. And for over 25 years, I actually worked in the corporate world in global marketing in various roles at the Coca-Cola company, at McKinsey, which is a consulting firm. And then recently, I actually joined Google to lead their global marketing operations, and I'm really enjoying my new role there. So I've really been, kind of, you know, in this more corporate marketing role over the years, and uh, I also have the pleasure of being on um, a board called the Jack and Jill Late Stage Cancer Foundation, which is a very special not-for-profit that I have a ton of passion for helping them to achieve their mission. Um, outside of, of these things, I've been fortunate to travel the world and have been to over 55 countries in 46 out of 50 states. I have four more to go. And over the years, I've really enjoyed managing the juggling act of being a working mom um, while raising my daughter, Grace, who is now 19, but she was actually seven when we got divorced. Um, and it's probably also important to note just a little bit of my background that I have been raised by amazing parents who have been married for over 53 years, and they're an example mm-hmm. of a true partnership and marriage. And so I like to start these conversations kind of going on the record that I'm actually not an advocate for divorce, um, you know, which may sound funny given that I've written a book on divorce, but I actually think in an ideal world, couples that get married would happily stay married for the long term and be together, but unfortunately that's not always the case, and these days it's more common than ever. So I I like to say that there's three points to keep in mind when it comes to this topic. Um, Number one is no one gets married to get to divorce. And number two, no one gets divorced for positive reasons. And the third is, you know, children do not get to make the decision of whether their parents divorce, but their lives are significantly impacted by this decision. And so that's what really led me to write this book after I went through my own divorce 11 years ago. Well, it, it really speaks to the fact that you didn't write it immediately, that you knew from your own personal experience and that of Grace what you went mm-hmm. through. You you mm-hmm. just talked about your parents being married for 53 years. There's success. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that you just 
from you know you and I have talked off the air before we I like to do that Sarah because it gives me a yeah. chance to get to know my guests prior to you know having this conversation and it's very yeah. clear not only your motivation but your way of expressing something that so could be so devastating and and for everyone you know not just yeah. mom dad the kids grandma the aunts, the uncles, everyone that's associated with a good divorce has has mm-hmm. an opinion, you know. And mm-hmm. I think that the fact that you've done this, and I doubt that there are many books like this out there, um, I think that that really speaks to why if you find yourself or someone you know in this situation, that it can be so helpful. I'm I'm imagining that there must be a lot of therapists that have this book on their bookshelf in working with their with their family clients. Uh, I think that it's like I said, it is a blueprint. It's it's beautifully written, and I I think what would what I'd like to know about because I I do ha- I ask a lot of questions. That makes sense. I'm a podcaster. I should be asking questions. <laughs> it kind of goes Absolutely. along with my personality. Oh my God. Absolutely. So um, with that in mind, what what actually inspired you to write the Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce and to become a good divorce proponent? Where's the inspiration? Yeah, well, yeah, well, it's interesting. So over the years since my divorce, my daughter was actually seven when we got a divorce. And I was the first of my friends to actually go through a divorce. So I didn't really have a lot of individuals to talk to of, of my peer group to say, hey, what, what, how, do, how do I go about this? Um, but once I went through my, my, my own divorce, I was actually asked by many of my girlfriends who have children to help them think through the details of their divorce. And I, I like to say that, you know, the girl who never, ever thought she would get a divorce has become a poster child for a good divorce. And after helping my girlfriends through this challenging time in life, they encouraged me to write down the guidance I'd provided them. But I actually never intended to do that because I actually don't, as I said, I never intend a book. I don't actually consider myself a writer. I've been, I've been trained in business bullet point writing. I haven't been trained as, you know, a, a, as a, a true creative writer, I'd say. And so the, the way the story goes is I was um, a, a, a number of years, almost five years post-divorce, and I was on a business trip in Mexico City with a group of colleagues. And one of my colleagues turned to me and he said to me, Sarah, you're so happy. And I said, well, yes, I am. And he said, but you're divorced. And I said, Salman, being divorced is not a death sentence. My ex-husband and I decided to no longer be married to each other. And I said, I'm very happy. I said, Grace is happy. I said, my ex-husband's happy. I said, actually, we're all really happy. And I mentioned that, um, you know, I'd had a number of my friends that were encouraging me to write a book about how we'd approached our divorce. He said, you really should. And so the next day I got on my flight out of Mexico City and I opened my laptop and I opened a Word doc and I wrote the line, this book is written by a girl who never ever thought she would get a divorce, who got a divorce and what she learned along the way. And that was the first line I wrote and it's actually the opening page of my book that was published um, a couple of years later. And, you know, the interesting thing, Marcia, is when you think about the concept of a good divorce, um, you know, there's not actually enough conversation around this topic about how to have a good divorce. And that was one of the real inspirations of why I felt the need to, to write this book. Because, you know, I think there's a goal, at least I have a goal, of helping to change the social norm of the fact that most people think of divorce and think of bitter divorces. And, you know, there's such a lasting impact on children that go through those types of divorces. And so ultimately, I really want to help to shift societal perception that a good divorce is an attainable outcome. Um, that makes that makes sense. I, it's funny, as I'm listening to you, I'm thinking about, okay, so my parents were never divorced. Their marriage ended in death when they each, when they, mm-hmm. when they died. But my mm-hmm. very closest friend in the fifth grade, who had moved mm-hmm. from Minnesota to Westchester, where I currently live and where she was living, mm-hmm. her parents mm-hmm. got a divorce when we were young teenagers. Mm-hmm. And it was like, oh, my God. I, that She was the first person I knew that got a mm-hmm. divorce. And yeah. I, rem, I can still see her. 
I can still see her standing on my front door, at my front door. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's emotional yeah. even saying this. I was young. And, and I opened yeah. the door and I said, hi, sis. And she said, my dad wants a divorce. And it was like, mm-hmm. what? I mean, like, yeah. what's a divorce? I mean, mm-hmm. so I, it, it, it really did, it did hit me as a kid. But mm-hmm. as you said, you know, everybody brings their own experience to this table. And for your colleague to recognize and acknowledge, well, you're mm-hmm. on a business trip. He, he experienced you as happy. And it's like, dang, how can mm-hmm. you be so happy? And it's like, well, yes. that's kind of a good question I hadn't really asked myself. I love your yeah. opening line. I mean, you didn't, mm-hmm. this isn't what, that wasn't the game plan. No. So, yeah. you know, and so what do you think a good divorce actually looks like? I mean, what, describe mm-hmm. that, what it looks like, so I can see a picture. Yeah, no, yeah. so, you know, it's interesting. I'll, I'll share a story that leads in, into the, the definition as I've defined it. And actually, the story is really related to Grace. Um, so when okay. she was eight, about a year after our divorce, we were standing in a CVS in the checkout line, and there was a People magazine on the on the stand right next to the cash register. And she and there was a, a celebrity couple that was getting a divorce. And she said to me, "Mommy, is that a good divorce or a bad divorce?" And I said, Ooh. "Grace." And I stopped and thought, "Wow." And I thought, "Well, Grace," I asked her, "You know, well, how would you define a good divorce versus a bad divorce?" She goes, "Well, a good divorce is when a mommy and daddy." are nice to each other and get along like you and daddy. And a bad divorce is when they scream and yell at each other. And I stopped and I thought, wow, yeah. And so we walked to that CVS that day, Marsha, and I thought, you know what, whatever my ex-husband and I are doing, um, the fact that my eight-year-old at the time could actually define our divorce as a good divorce meant that we were doing something, and I'll use the you know right in air quotes, but we were doing something that was working for Grace to really perceive our divorce as a good divorce. So the way I define a good divorce is really when a couple puts aside their personal feelings for one another and really focuses on what is best for their children. And, you know, when a couple goes through a divorce and children are involved, the stakes are so high. And we owe it to our children to ensure they're not collateral damage due to the divorce. And, I, you know, I think that that's so important. You know, and even though a couple has decided to no longer be married to one another, you know, they made a commitment to their children when they brought them into this world to bring them up in the healthiest environment possible. And, you know, I, I like to say we cover the plugs, you know, and we make sure they wear bike helmets and we ensure they drink organic milk and all these things. Mm-hmm. But... You know, we go about to make sure they're safe and healthy and happy, right? As parents, that's our goal. But, you know, the toxicity that can come with the divorce can have a long-term impact on a children's life, both in terms of their view on relationships, their view on marriage, their view on kind of their overall happiness in life, their view on themselves. And so I do think it's our responsibility as parents to take co-parenting very seriously with the intent of having a good divorce because it's really, you know, so fundamental to how your children are going to be shaped in terms of all of these facets of their life. And we do have a choice. We have a choice of whether we're going to have them sit in that toxic environment for a long time or whether we're going to try to show them a more positive side of how we can live our lives, even though we've gone through this very challenging time. Yeah, I Right, and and you and just the one child, so just it was just the three of you, correct? Yeah, it was just the three of us. Yes, and right. our and our yellow lab. Uh, you know our something, Sarah? Bella. Uh, uh, Bella, you know something, Sarah? I was just yes. going to ask you that. Yeah. I was just going to yeah. say, by any chance, did yeah. did Sarah have a pet? And so there was Bella. Yes. Beautiful. Yes, so Grace, I know that's so what Grace that means. had Bella and, and Bella and Bella went to live with her dad and then so she still had oh. Bella at her dad's house. So yeah, she still had she still had her, her fabulous yellow lab to be with her. So it was great. That's that's really that's really yeah. nice. And, and you know, yeah. there there there's a stigma, right? And what yeah, where were you living? What part yeah. of the country were you were you living at this time? 
At the time, um, we were living in Atlanta. That's where we lived okay. and raised Grace. So we were living okay. there over the years together. And, I see. you know, your your comment on a stigma is an interesting one. Um, and I really, I actually think there is a stigma, right, mm-hmm. with divorce. I, I like to say that divorce is an action. It's something you go through. But it does not need to be a scarlet letter. You know, it is a process you go through. But it shouldn't define your life and your children's lives in a negative light for the long term. Um, but I think one of the challenges is, is it takes effort to actually go through divorce with children involved and take a different approach, you know, than what society is expecting you to do, which is to live in the negativity and allow this kind of dark cloud to follow you. And I just think you really have to make a conscious effort to change the way the people around you perceive divorce so that you can actually then live a more positive life and and be happy in the the long term well it makes sense and you said something interesting you you said that um about the conscious effort so what do you think society needs to know in order to appreciate that good divorce um with an attainable outcome how do in a society what 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 Mm -hmm. are your thoughts about that about attaining this this positive outcome yeah, well, I think society has to realize that if, if one in two couples are going through divorce, it is an incredibly common occurrence. And so at the beginning, you have to say, well, if one in two couples are going through that, and then when you have children going through that, then it's more normal than not. I mean, it is, it is part of the fabric of our society. And so then accepting that if that's the reality, then how can people continue to live a life that they want to live and have that be seen as quote unquote normal when people are saying, well, that doesn't fit into the traditional profile of, of what you've done. You've gotten married, you have had kids, it should look this way. So I think that it's a little, it's, there's a lot around kind of the societal perception and society is really our friends, our family, our coworkers, you know, the people around us. And so what I find really interesting with my own journey um, post-divorce is being able to show people um, through just the small instances on a day-to-day basis of what a good divorce looks like. So, for example, my ex-husband and I would, you know, sit or stand next to each other at Grace's soccer games when she was young. Or, you know, at her birthday party, we were both there when she was blowing out her candles. Or, you know, a really amazing story that I, I still share because it, it, it hits me every time I share it is we were at her parent-teacher conferences in sixth grade. And at that point, Grace would join us for these parent-teacher conferences, and she mm. was with her her, te- her advisor that was for the sixth grade. And, and we go through the hour, and at the end, this woman says to me, wait a minute, are, are you two divorced? And I stopped, hmm. and I looked at her and said, well, yes, we've been divorced since Grace was in first grade, so it's you know, five years. She was, I had no idea. And I looked at her and I said, it never occurred to me to tell you. <laughs> I said, that was, you know, it's not like I was going to walk in and say, hey, we're divorced. So Guess what? Have, right. So I said, we're, I, yeah, I said, we're here to have a conversation about Grace and how she's doing in school. And she said to me, you would be amazed at how few parents, are able, the parents in a divorce situation, are able to come in and sit here in my office with their child and have a one-hour parent-teacher conference. She goes, you are a rarity. And I looked at her and said, that is really sad that we are so rare. Because if you want to think about what's the most important thing two parents have as their child together, and you're talking about how they're doing in school, I would like to think regardless of what's happened, you two can go and sit and have that conversation with the teacher and have your child see that you're both there for them. And so I just, again, it, it was just another example for me of just the fact that we were doing these things that I felt were so natural and, and the right thing to do for Grace and for her well-being and for how she felt that it was so, such a rarity that her, that her parents would both show up for the parent-teacher mm-hmm. conference and be there together. Well, as I'm listening to you tell this, um, I'm formulating a vision as somebody that was that PTA mom while my kids went through school. Mm-hmm. And what I what I'm I'm words are bubbling up for me. And one of the words mm-hmm. that I that I'm hearing in my head is cooperation. And mm-hmm. it sounds to me like 
I'm presuming this, that one of the reasons that you had such a good divorce is that you were cooperating with one another. And I don't know that that always happens. Um, I don't have any close friends that have been divorced. But um, it sounds to me like you were, no, no pun intended since you've written a book, but it yeah. sounds like you were both on the same page. You probably, yeah. I'm, I'm sure the, I'm the first one that's ever said that to you, right? But I'm yeah, just saying. That's a good one. <laughs> but, it, but it's true. It, it's true. It sounds yeah. like yeah. that the credit for Sarah's um, success and ability to navigate her schooling, and now you've got her in college, had to have been because there was some cooperation that didn't lead to angst. That that I'm sure it wasn't. You didn't say the mom's guide to a perfect divorce, and and I see <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. I see that yeah. because nothing yeah. in life is perfect. Um, no. You also no. don't say the mom's guide to an okay divorce. You know, you mm-hmm. use the word good, and mm-hmm. I always I always relate that to um, grades in school. A is excellent, mm-hmm. but B mm-hmm. is good, and there's nothing <laughs> yeah. wrong with getting Bs in school. Sure, we want Absolutely. A's, you know, but but if yeah. you can have a good divorce and and mm-hmm. close your eyes at night and say, wow, that wasn't easy, but mm-hmm. you know what? This is really about helping Grace. And by helping Grace, frankly, let's face it, I'm helping me too because now mm-hmm. we're in this together. And yes, yeah. the ex-husband, you can't we can't discount him. There's there's three in this party. Um Absolutely. but I, I just think that it's so wonderful that that this happened and like I said, I, I don't think it happened um by mistake. And I'm sure that there are times when, you know, there could be some unintended consequences. And certainly this mm-hmm. pandemic has changed the way people are living. I, I'm yeah. widowed, and I know this pandemic has changed the way I'm living. You know, education yeah. has changed tremendously over these last yeah. two years as far as how kids go to school. And parent conferencing, I mean, everything is Zoom, right? It's not just a camera lens. It's, it's like, oh, okay, we're going to go see the teacher, but uh, but we're going to all be doing it on yeah. Zoom together. Okay, let's do it. Who's like the yeah. little Brady Bunch, you know, we're in little boxes here. Absolutely. And we're talking, to, but you know, but I mean, it's. but you know what? It's another word that just bubbled up. And here it mm-hmm. is. And it starts with the letter A which is adapt. It sounds to me that in order to have a good divorce, there does need to be some adapting on both people's Mm -hmm. side, right? Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and I think going back to your original, so between the cooperation and adaptation that takes place, it's not easy. So so, and I I love your analogy of where the, the good sits in the language. Um, kind of of, mm-hmm. of what it really means, but you know it's not easy, but it is doable, and it's yes. worth it for the sake of our children. But it requires a lot of things. It requires patience in terms of how you manage the day-to-day co-parenting dynamics and logistics, you know, between two households. It requires communication, and you know sometimes this is the person you're never wanting to speak to again. But you need to you do need to communicate in some form or fashion if you're going to co-parent a child or children together. And so that requires you figuring out, you know, what are the discussions you need to have and the decisions you need to make about your children, both during the divorce and after the divorce, and really think through it together when you can. You know, sometimes there are instances, in fairness, Marsha, where that's not an easy thing for a couple to do. But yes. if you really, again, put your children at the heart of, of these discussions and say what is best for them, hopefully you can have a conversation that at least has them in focus. And so it is, and there's a lot of adaptation. Um, I, I talk about in the book, you know, a year of firsts, so the first year after divorce, and all the different things that you have to adjust to. So different ways of doing holidays, different ways of thinking about, you know, how you are going to show up or not show up for various school events or, you know, the, the birthdays. And, you know, so there's just so many things you have to work through, you know, vacations and, and different family traditions that you might have done together. So, 
there is a lot that you have to adapt to. And, and sometimes you say, well, I'm going to try it this time. And I say in that first year post-divorce, you know, do it once and then you can evaluate, do you want to do it again that way? Or do you right. maybe not want to do it that way again? Like, yeah, that didn't work. And so being open to the fact that you're going to have to, you know, work through things, both, you know, talking to your children about how that, you know, vacation went or how that holiday went and having your own self-reflection of how you mm-hmm. feel um, in those moments is really important. But adaptation is really, it's a great word to to reflect on because it's very much a fundamental part of um, both going through divorce and, and the post-divorce phase. And I'm sure that there has to be a lot of effort put to talking and getting Grace's thoughts out of her mind and her stomach yes. and Absolutely. and out. It would be very yeah. interesting down the road. You said she's in college mm-hmm. now. It'd be yeah. very interesting yeah. down the road to see if she writes the ch- the, the children's guide to a good divorce mm-hmm. and what she's learned living with yeah. you and, and having her father mm-hmm. be part of her life. Um, mm-hmm. What did she learn? Because... Yeah. I'm sure you've thought of this, but I would think there's probably not a book out there that's written from the position. I mean, maybe mm-hmm. there is. I don't know, but oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's it would be it would be an interesting. You know, there's so many there's so many key words in this discussion. Reflection being another yeah. one that I just yeah. bubbled up. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. reflecting on. You know, because I mean, my parents were. Married, but that didn't mean that there weren't times when they irritated the hell out of each other. Because of course they did. Sure. We and we Absolutely. irritated our, we irritated them, and they irritated us. And sometimes my brother <laughs> drove me crazy, and I can't imagine I would have ever driven him crazy. But you know, it happens, <laughs> right? You know, and Absolutely. and then you're starting to look at holidays. And I remember, you know, um, that's really. It's so interesting. Um, it just is a sort of a side thing here. I'm back to thinking about my mm-hmm. elementary school friend. My mm-hmm. parents are Jewish. I never had yeah. a Christmas tree. We had a menorah. Mm-hmm. All right. And so mm-hmm. we had the seven days of Hanukkah, and everybody's going, oh, my God, you get a yeah. present every night. I said, well, God, look at under the tree. How many are there? Let's count. How many of them are yours? <laughs> Hello, is there more than seven, I see. But I remember that first year for Linda, and it was like mm-hmm. we decorated I helped her decorate her tree because I remember mm-hmm. it, putting the tinsel mm-hmm. on her tree mm-hmm. because she mm-hmm. was an only child as well. And mm-hmm. I was the okay. next best thing to her sister. And my parents right. were like her surrogate mom and dad. Mm-hmm. And I you know, yeah. I, I think about that and we're 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 going back, you know, what I don't know mm-hmm. how many years ago. I can't do the math, but it's decades, <laughs> you know. Yes. But I guess what yeah. I'm saying it was it will as as Grace gets older, it will be it mm-hmm. will be interesting. I'm sure that just knowing how you speak and think and act, that that there is definite dialogue with her, and um, I, I just I just just find your book just fascinating, and I, I just I know I Thank have you. more questions to ask you. So let me ask yeah. you this. Sure. So what aspects of caring for children do you feel are the most important to think through when couples are contemplating or preparing for a divorce? You know, I think there's a couple of things. Um, one, well, one is the, the day-to-day logistics of where your child's going to be and, and how they're going to actually feel like they're at home wherever they are and how you create that home for them. But one of the moments that I had such a revelation uh, during our divorce process is we actually, when we told Grace that we were getting a divorce, we actually took her to um, a, a child therapist that focused on divorce. And I thought it would be important for her to have someone, or we thought that it would be important for her to have someone to talk to. So we're sitting with this fellow before he even meets with Grace. And he looks at me and he says, so Sarah, do you travel? And I said, actually, I do. I travel globally for my role. And uh, he looks at my husband and he says, do you travel? And he says, yeah, I travel domestically. And he said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. She's going to travel every week 
for the next 11 years until she goes off to college. And I burst into tears, Marcia. I burst into tears, and I said, that's not, that's not what I want for her. And he, and, uh, he goes, well, that's her reality. She's going to pack a bag every week. And, um, and so I walked out of that session. I looked at my ex-husband and I said, I want us to figure out how we minimize her feeling like she's a professional traveler. And so we thought through it and I, you know, came back with a suggestion to him that we would, and again, part of this is there's some socioeconomic considerations here, but I wanted her to have kind of the basics of life at both households so she wouldn't really have to pack a bag. Like she'd have, you know, a pair of running shoes at her dad's house and a pair of running shoes at my house or, you know, enough socks and, you know, all the, the basics so that when she would walk out the door to go to school. She'd have her backpack or her school bag or whatever the case is, but she wouldn't be like toting another bag. And so we made a real effort to make sure that Grace had what she needed at both homes. And if things got a little out of whack where, you know, there were too many socks of one thing, we would literally rebalance. My ex-husband and I, we wouldn't ask Grace to rebalance. It wasn't her, it wasn't her fault she had to live across mm-hmm. two homes. So we would literally rebalance the basics so that, you know, she had enough at both homes. And um, so I, we set that goal, and I have to say, it, I think we achieved it, and, and Grace really went seamlessly between our two homes, and I feel really good about it. Um, but I will share with you that just as she was getting ready to go off to college this summer, um, she had never complained once, Marcia, in 11 years about going back and forth. And, I, and honestly, I think she really, it became her new normal. But as she was getting ready for college, she said, you know what, Mom, I can't wait for the great consolidation. And I go, what is that, Grace? She said, she goes, I'm going to have all my stuff in one place. I don't have to live across two homes. And I said, you know what, Grace? First of all, the fact that you can articulate that, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. You have never once in 11 years mentioned going back and forth between dad or my place. And but I also am really happy that you have you get to have all of your stuff in one place, and I can totally get that. And so she spent a couple of weeks like going like figuring everything out, you know. So just but it's it's a it's to your point, it's a child who's lived through this and can reflect. And um, but I I feel like she we did all we could to make that scenario and that dynamic you know and minimize it as much as possible but then there's an appreciation at a stage in life where you can just say yeah but now I can have all my stuff here so I thought it was really interesting that's the chapter the great consolidation and actually yeah and actually it's it's not in this most recent version because she just shared that with this summer well you know it's a chapter it is a it is a piece of it for sure it's a um it's a defining moment but what it also sounds to me, because I, I don't know your circumstances at all, but, but I'm certainly mm-hmm. gathering that from our conversation, it, it would yeah. suggest to me that you live close enough to one another that he could take her to school and you could take her to school and you mm-hmm. weren't, you know, in different counties or states yeah. where this happened. Yeah. And it's, you, you mentioned that you're both travelers. You've both had you know, um, significant job responsibilities, and yet yeah. you 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 made it happen. It, it sounds to me like, yeah, so, yeah, so those clothes are over here, and these clothes are over yeah. there, and what time are you picking me mm-hmm. up, and what time do I come home, and I've got a soccer practice yeah. today, or I don't know, maybe did she play mm-hmm. volleyball like you, or you were a volleyball yeah. player? Did, did, she, <laughs> did she play volleyball? Question. She did not play volleyball. She played golf, and then she rode crew. So she she took different. She wanted to be outdoors, not not on a body on a hard yeah on a on a wooden floor. So no, she, but she but you're right. So to answer your question, we did live close by to each other. We made that a very conscious decision. We wanted to be able to to have her be able to go back and forth easily. In fact, to the point where both of us said we would stay in Atlanta and not move until she graduated from high school. So I had had a a longer term goal of living in San Francisco, which is where I have now moved post her going off to college. But we did not, neither of us were willing to make a move until she she graduated. So that was a, a, a commitment we kind of made to grace, you know, to have well, her have both parents nearby. And I feel proud of that, I have to tell you, because that sure. wouldn't maybe have been either of our choices to stay in Atlanta as long as we did. Um, but it, it was the right thing for her. 
And so it, um, you know, it's, the thing is, Marcia, with all of this, there's so many different dynamics that you have to think through when you, first of all, when you decide to go down this path and raise children in two households. And, you know, even um, one thing we haven't touched on is the physical impact of where your children are living. Yes, um, yes. Please I mean, tell me like about literally, that. Literally, like, physically where they're living. So I had this fascinating moment where... So we, have, we had a hallway with all these long black and white photos of both my ex-husband's family and my family all interspersed amongst each other. It was a really fun display I put together years ago. And during the divorce, I was like, well, I need to give him, you know, his photos and I'm, I need to replace those. So what I did is I took, <clears throat> I made the effort to get other photos framed. And when Grace was on a play date on one Saturday, I sent her off. And this is this is actually um, right after, or actually right before the divorce, or before my ex-husband had moved out. So um, I had her go down the street to a plate it, and then I replaced. You know, I took my ex-husband's photos down, family photos, and put other ones up of Grace and my family, et cetera. And so she then came home a little later. It was all done. I'm staying in the kitchen, and I hear this little voice again. She's just seven years old. She goes, "Hey, mom," and I go, "What's that, Grace?" She says. The wall has changed, and I stopped because I would have never thought she would have noticed. And, and I, because it would have been wallpaper almost to her. She walks by it a hundred times a day. I said, "Well, what's changed?" And she said, "Well, there's lots more pictures of me up here. It looks great." And then she went up to her room. And what she didn't say is, "Wow, Dad!" You know, she didn't notice Daddy's pictures had been taken off the wall. So, but what I can tell you is, if I hadn't done the step of actually having the photos ready to put up and put, you know, put them on those little hangers. And if I had only done the first step, which was to take my ex-husband's photos, you know, down and give them to him and left those little hangers on the wall, I can assure you that years from now, Grace would be going to therapy talking about her parents' divorce and the fact that my mom took all my dad's photos off the wall and he left you know, she left those little hangers hanging there. And so I, that was just, again, a conscious effort I made for Grace to make sure that there weren't holes, like wherever I could, you know, if there was a piece of art that left, I might not replace it with a piece of art, but I'd put a mirror up or, you know, there were chairs that went away um, because I actually stayed in the home that we were raising Grace and my ex-husband moved to a different house. And so there were going to be holes. I'm like, I need to make sure it doesn't feel like her, her physical environment is being completely torn apart. Um, and then there were actually some photos that we had in her room that were of my ex-husband's family and of my family, and I kept those. Those stayed. I didn't. I didn't touch that. I thought, you know, this is Grace's room, and this is this is her family. It's a wall of people smiling back at her that love her, and she deserves that. And so those those stayed. But I think the physical environment and what and thinking carefully about what's happening to your child's physical environment during a divorce and after is really important. Gosh. I'm telling you because I only had the one friend and you just drew a picture for me again, sitting on her bed, playing canasta, mm-hmm. eating mm-hmm. popcorn balls that her mother made so well. Okay. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but there was a picture of her dad in her room. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I'm... I mean, I wasn't getting, my parents weren't getting a divorce, but there's collateral damage. If you love there somebody and, and she's your yeah. friend and she's yeah. suffering, I'm going through that with her. Maybe not the same yeah. way, but, yeah. um, you know, it, it's, just, it's interesting what you're drawing in my mind as, as, I, am, um, as I am listening to you talk about this. Um, mm-hmm. So the holidays are coming. We we can't yeah. avoid them. It's yeah. already December. I don't know how the heck that happened. <laughs> That's true. God, That's I'm true. telling you. I mean, yeah. trust me. In the Jewish faith, Hanukkah started like a 12 months a week. You know, I mean, it's just exactly. like ridiculous. It started a week ago. But anyway, it did. Um, yeah. it did. So let's talk about how families during this holiday season, especially if it's the first mm-hmm. one after divorce, mm-hmm. how what what kind of logistics or suggestions would you have for families in that situation? Yeah, well, first uh, I'll acknowledge as a parent, and then I'll talk about the children, as a parent, holidays are hard. When you, and and I will say even 11 years post-divorce, I'd say holidays are the hardest adjustment in the divorce situation because you're 
most likely not spending a holiday or two or whatever the agreement is defined as with your children or with your child. And so um, I just, I I put that out there because it is one of the really challenging times in a divorce family situation. But I think for the children to make, to ease it for them, I think being really clear with your children where they'll be for the holidays, who will be there with them, you know, just assuring them that some aspects of the holidays that they need pre-divorce are going to continue on is really important. Um, and, you know, for example, if, if you do celebrate and, and have Santa coming to the house and, you know, saying which house Santa's coming to, like Santa's going to find you if they're young and they're, you know, worried about that, I'll, I'll, I'll share that, um, I don't know if you're familiar with the concept of elf on the shelf, which is that little oh, elf yes. that uh-huh. reappears, right? Mm-hmm. So actually a good friend of mine invented Elf on the Shelf, which is fun for oh. Atlanta. But she, uh, isn't that amazing? Yeah, she's an amazing gal. Um, but um, one of the things that we had to figure out is, you know, where, and Grace had actually named our, our Elf Fred. So where where was Fred going to be? <laughs> oh, and God, that's the name in my family, too. We yeah. use Fred for everything. Oh, is it? oh my God, Fred? that's oh, yes. so funny. Yes, that's so funny. So, yes, yeah, so Fred, <laughs> where's Fred? Where's Fred? <laughs> Yeah, yes. wait, where's Fred? So Fred made his appearance at both homes. And I had this was one of those moments I had to text my cousin and say, we need to figure out Fred. He's like, oh, you're right. Yeah, we need to figure out Fred. So, so in those moments, if you can have a little levity in a divorce situation to figure out where Fred, the, the elf on the shelf, is going to show up. But, yeah. you know, I think the other piece that is really uh, an important piece is the gift-giving aspect of holidays, whether it's Christmas and, or, or a holiday of that nature or a birthday, that right. when those gift-giving moments come up for your children, that you have a plan of how, especially when they're young, who's going to help them figure out what gifts they might want to give to each parent because depending on how you did that pre, you know, pre your divorce, um, you, when the children go through this, it can be very stressful them. they're like, well, I don't know, I don't have a gift to give daddy or I don't have a gift to give mommy. So whether you help your child buy a gift for your ex-spouse or you ask a friend or a nanny or, you know, a colleague, someone that can help them to sort that out so they don't feel any angst or anxiety heading into the holidays that they aren't doing their part, that they know they're supposed to do, but they might not know how to do it at that age, is really important. And so um, I just think that those are the things, and again, it comes down to a lot of logistics, but those are the types of things you have to think about um, and and do some planning for so it's not last minute and it doesn't cause additional stress during an already stressful time of the year. Absolutely. And, And you can imagine there's, I mean, we're talking three people here. Um, there's mm-hmm. angst on all levels because I want to be with mommy, okay? But no, but daddy wants me to be with mm-hmm. him, and I'm okay. But 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 mm-hmm. I but I but I'm always with mommy, and I want to be with grandma and grandpa, mm-hmm. and and grandma and grandpa aren't going to go to daddy's, and so what am I mm-hmm. supposed to do? And so I don't know what to do, and mm-hmm. now I'm sad, and I just want to go to Susie's. I don't even want to be here, you know. I yeah. I can just sort mm-hmm. of hear these different scenarios that can happen mm-hmm. and as as children get older you know those those demands are are different obviously because now you're mm-hmm. maybe yeah. adding a boyfriend a girlfriend or whomever yeah. you know um yeah. and and so i can really see that the um just by virtue of the ages um the requirements or the desires you know can be can be much different but it sounds to me like what's always been paramount is that you and your ex-husband have seen your daughter as very important and that her needs and her and her what's important to her and m- making her feel safe and secure wasn't doesn't sound like it was one-sided because it sounds like you needed to do this um as an effort and that's not to say it was perfect remember i I did say this is not as a guide to a perfect divorce. There, nothing's perfect, <laughs> no. uh, and I get nothing's that. Nothing's perfect. Uh, and, yeah. you know, our kids are not perfect either. So, you know, no. what, what might make them happy today might not make them happy tomorrow. You know, that's, that, 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 that alone can, can change things. But, you know, I'm yeah. thinking about, I'm just kind of thinking about what it's like being in your shoes and you know, having this 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 career, 
And so you're you're actually mm-hmm. demonstrating that to your daughter. I mean, she's off to mm-hmm. college. Does she have any of the same interests that you have as as her kid? Is she studying things mm-hmm. that you would have studied? Great question. She's she's taking a very different path. She has a huge uh, passion and interest in forensic science. So she's oh. actually at school. Yeah, so she's heading off. She's at Seattle University, and she's studying forensic science and forensic psychology. So a very different path than her mom, um, but one that she kind of found through a program at her school that exposed it to her as a sophomore in high school, and she decided uh. she wanted to explore that in college. So. Yeah, it's um, yeah, so very different. She and I'm really excited for her and all that lies ahead for her to define her own her own path. It's really you bet. Was that a STEM school? What did they have? It was that, just, or it not was, necessarily? Um, actually, it was it, not necessarily a STEM school, but her school had what's called a Jan term, and the the month of January they they offered the high school students. I think it was 35 or 40 different options that had nothing to do with the normal curriculum. And so wow. her sophomore year, she chose forensic science. Yeah, and so she spent the month of January sophomore year with her teachers bringing in also individuals from the community to teach them about that topic. And so it really kind of hooked her in. And she wasn't one of those kids watching all the programs that I know are very focused on, like CSI and those things. That wasn't how she got exposed to it. It was really through her school offering this really amazing program. So wow. I think it's great. I think, you, you, yeah, you learn you learn about what different people do in the world, and this was a moment where she thought, wow, that's something I'm really interested in. So it's been I'm just curious so early, now. Early days, but really fun, yeah. Wow. Was this yes. – I gotta just I gotta ask this question because now I'm real curious. Oh, was this a, prov- a public or private school? Private school. Okay. Private school I mean that's yeah. nice, yeah. and I mean that I'm not I'm not making a judgment. I was just curious because mm-hmm. I know STEM schools are are becoming more and more and more popular. With yeah, the magnet they are. schools are becoming are. more and more popular. But how yeah. wonderful and creative that at a school that they could bring this this month of January, which we're gonna be coming Mm -hmm. to this this you know, in a few weeks and and to think that the school provides this opportunity, this pathway that would have never you know, that I mean you just never know you just yeah. you don't. We never know that path we're going to be on. You didn't anticipate when you got married that this was going to be a divorce. You know, I no. you 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 don't no. know what's coming down the road. You have to, you know, be prepared and 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 look at things through through the through the lens of your own glasses and 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 your own yeah. lifestyle. And I I think I think it's really great and it kind of takes me to just another subject that I think is really important mm-hmm. for everyone that's listening, and that is um, the importance of self-care, especially if you're alone yeah. for the first time during the holidays. Let's let's talk yeah. a little bit about self-care. Yeah, no, it's a good, it's an important topic, and I think as a single working mom, it was something I really needed to think about and and prioritize for myself. And I think all parents need to, and especially moms, we take a lot on. Um, so I, I start with self-care really reflecting on, you know, do things that make you happy and that are going to make you just feel good on a, on a daily basis and a weekly basis, whatever that looks like for you. And that could be anything from, you know, a spa treatment to curling up with a good book and just having some quiet time to yourself. It could be saying, no, I'm going to go out to lunch or dinner with friends and family. But self-care takes on a lot of different um, you know, different, there's different ways to do that. You know, there's also um, the opportunity, to, you know, specifically, excuse me, during the holidays to volunteer. And I found that when, in those moments when I'm by myself, when I go volunteer, it puts everything into perspective very quickly. I mean, it's it's just so fundamental to see what you can give back and how you can help others. And when you might be down or, or missing your children during those holidays, it is a really amazing um, thing to go and volunteer. Another thing I should mention that uh, occurred to me as I was going through my own divorce is that a lot of the things you do when you're preparing to have children is good gut guidance for moms that are going through divorce. So eat well, exercise, get your sleep. I mean, the fundamentals of, you know, taking care of yourself because, mm-hmm. you know, if you do these things, it really provides a foundation so you can handle all that you need to handle during and after the divorce. Um, and sometimes those are the things you, you don't do. You know, you might miss that 
dinner, you don't get enough sleep, and then you're just worn out, and there's so many things coming at you during a divorce that you need all your strength, you need your, you need to be able to think clearly. And so some of those foundational things are basically should be top of the list before you, you do the other ones I suggested. But it's, it really is an important piece of it. I think it's important for all of us, um, regardless mm-hmm. of our situation, regardless of our lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I, For mm-hmm. me, um, I used to tease and say, well, I, I'll take my camera for a walk. That's what I used to do before I was doing um, hosting a podcast. I love that. So I would take my camera for a walk um, Mm -hmm. because I realized that I really liked being outdoors. Or Mm -hmm. like you say, maybe maybe you're Mm -hmm. an athlete. Maybe you like to go to the gym and play some volleyball. Or maybe you're going to spurge and buy yourself a Peloton or whatever that might be that that keeps Mm -hmm. you physically well. And then like you said treating your body with respect and eating well so yeah. that you aren't yeah. exhausted. I think those things are all important. But what you also said, people say, come, Marsha, what would you be doing if you weren't you know, doing this podcast? I said, I don't know, uh, probably more mm-hmm. volunteer work because yeah, that touches absolutely. me. And you, you mentioned a little earlier about this um, this. Um, a nonprofit that you are associated with, with um, it's Jack yeah. and Jill. Is that right? Did I get that right? Yeah, yeah. It's Jack yeah. and Jill Late Stage Cancer Foundation. Yeah. And 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 I, you want to just say something just really quickly about that? I'm kind of curious about it. Sure. No, I'd love to share. Yeah, it's an amazing organization. I've been on the board, uh, gosh, five or six years now. But what the organization does is it. Where there's one of the parents in the family that is terminally ill with cancer, they send the family on the last trip the family will take together, and the trip is actually prescribed by the oncologist that's treating the parents. And so it's a really amazing organization. And and one of the things, Marcia, that I really think, and this is more from a parenting philosophy standpoint, is that there's three things we give that our children take away from growing up. They take away the traditions that we provide to them, the travel that we hopefully can expose them to if we're fortunate enough to, and then special moments. And so when I was introduced to Jack and Jill um, at a stage when I was reflecting on where I wanted to focus my time and effort, um, it really connected for me in terms of that this organization was really providing, you know, the travel and the special moments because those traditions might be changing because of the situation with the parents. And so it's it's an amazing organization. I'm so proud to be a part of it, and we are making such a difference in those families' lives that are going on those last trips before one of the parents is no longer there. That's that's wonderful. I, I'm going to need to know more yeah. uh, know more about that. Yeah, happy happy to talk yes. about that. Yeah. And I and I I do happy want people too. to know that are listening. Um, um, you will be able to easily see. You can go to Sarah's. Um, website, but I will include that, Sarah, um, in the follow-up right. so that people might want to, you know, purchase this book and just, you know, you don't have to read it overnight. I love what you said about just read the page and you don't have to turn the page. You don't have to turn, turn, turn. i got to read this because I can probably read this like in four hours. It's like, no, it's not yeah. a speed. It's not a, it's not a contest. And you you were very yeah. deliberate, weren't you, about the way you physically wrote the book as far as um, the physicalness of this book, aren't you? I was, yeah. So I'll share a little bit about it. So when I, was, when I got divorced, I was actually given a number of divorce books. But they were very thick and dense. And I literally would open them and i close them. I'm like, oh, I can't handle that. And so when I decided that I was going to write this book, um, I decided to write it in bite-sized pieces. So there's only a topic per page. There's over 180 topics in the book, and it's broken out into preparing for the change, during the change, and post the change. And it isn't actually meant to be read cover to cover. It's meant to be read for where you are in your process. And you might only want to read, you know, one topic at a time. Um, And then you might put it away and reflect on that and then come back to it. Um, 
it's interesting. I had, um, when I was writing it, the, the editor that was working for me told me that I was wasting paper <laughs> because I was <laughs> only funny. putting one topic in a page. And she said, yeah. you should put more. I'm like, no, I just, I want some white space. So some of the pages just have a half a page and then that's all I had to say on that topic. And then there's the white space. But two really interesting stories about the book and, and people that have shared feedback with me is I was in, um, I was in a, a grocery store in Atlanta right after I'd written the book, and I had this woman stop me in the produce section. And she said, are you Sarah Armstrong, the author? And I stopped because I don't, again, I hadn't really considered myself that. I said, oh, actually, I am. And, and, and she said, well, I was at your, your book launch at Barnes & Noble where I'd done a book signing. And uh, she said, I'm going through divorce, and I want you to know I carry your book with me everywhere, and it keeps me calm. And oh I thought, and she, and she thanked me for writing the book, and I thanked her for the feedback. And she walked away, and I stood in the middle of the produce section, and I thought, you know what? That is exactly why I wrote this book, is to help a woman I don't know who's going through an incredibly difficult phase of life. And if I can help make her calm with some guidance that she can reflect on, then that's, that's the gift I'm really happy to give. And then recently, when I joined Google, I had a young gal that reached out to me to network and kind of have an informational discussion about what my team does. And before we started the discussion, she says, I, I need to tell you something. I said, what's that? She goes, well, I'm going through a divorce. I said, I'm so sorry to hear that. She goes, and I'm reading your book. She said, but I, I couldn't have my, the book sent to my home because I share the same um, Amazon account with my husband. So I had it sent to my friend's house, and I go sit into my car, in her driveway in my car, and I read it. And I thought, oh, and I said, oh, and I, and it just breaks my heart to hear that. But then I think, well, hope and she goes, but it's helping me so much. I'm going and reading the pieces I need at the time, and then I'm, I'm giving it back to her, and then I come back another day. And so it really just struck me um, that, you know, mm-hmm. everyone is going to, you know, find the ways to, to find some guidance in this journey. And so the book is available, you know, in, it's available in paperback. Um, it's available in an iBook. Um, mm-hmm. I also um, did it for both Kindle and Nook and all the, the various versions. And then I also went into the studio last summer and did, during the pandemic, and did an audio version. So um, it's still oh, Audible. Oh, wow. Yeah. And Great. I thought kind of to the example, yeah, kind of the example of a gal who didn't want, you know, I, I've had friends that have said, I can't have this sitting on my bedside table. You know, it's, 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 it's making a statement. And so I, mm-hmm. you know, so I completely appreciate that there are moms that might need to, to take on the guidance in different formats. And so hopefully the different versions help for where everyone, where everyone, you know, can, can access it as they need to and get the, the guidance and support they need. So it's, um, it's really, um, you know, it's been a, a need to, to provide all those formats, but I'm very happy to have them out there. You, bet. you know, I'm just curious. Um, it's, let's see, the book is right in front of me right now. I know it came out. Yeah. So there's 228 pages in this book. How long did it take mm-hmm. you to actually write this? Well, it's interesting. I wrote a large portion of it over the course of a year, but it's because I would outline a topic. And I wrote most of it, ironically, on Delta at 30,000 feet during my business trips after I'd finished my work. Instead of watching a movie or reading a book, I'd open my personal laptop and I would, you know, write a couple, like I literally write a couple topics and then I'd put it away. And I wrote for about a year and then I got very busy at work and didn't touch it for about 10 months. And I opened the file on my laptop, and I looked, and I said, are you going to be something, or are you just going to be a file on my laptop? Wow. So that's, yeah, so, and that was in the fall of 2015. So that fall, I gave myself a goal of finishing it by the end of the year. And then I ended up um, right along those lines, determining that I was going to self-publish. And so I Mm -hmm. um, went through the the steps of self-publishing. So between January and June of 2016, I went through the self-publishing process and it was on Amazon uh, in July, July 11th of 2016. And so that was when it was launched into the world. So it was really an amazing, interesting process to go through that as well. Really? In terms of of publishing. Yeah, fascinating process to publish, to self-publish. So really enjoyed it. it, So you got another book brewing 
I do, I do, but it's you not do? It's called it, yeah, yeah. It's called the Working Mom's Guide to the Juggling Act. So I haven't. I'm still in the process of writing it. So it'll be a little bit of a little bit of time, but oh, it's a topic wow, also Sarah. that I have a ton of passion for. Yeah, yeah. So that's, it'll that's be coming, so, coming out. I, you know, there are so many words that you have used today that so mm-hmm. hit me. Not hard hit me, but just mm. resonate. Yeah. That, I think that's a much better yeah. word than hit me. That resonate yeah. and juggling yeah. is one of them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. really, you probably I'm yeah. probably old enough to be your mom, and <laughs> juggling oh, yeah. all the time. Well, I'm I don't know, yeah. um, but juggling <laughs> the things that I do and trying mm-hmm. to stay on top of things and. Mm-hmm. Keep those shoulders down where they belong and not as earrings yeah. up there around yeah. those earlobes. Yeah. You know, yeah. I I understand from my perspective what juggling is like. Um, from your perspective, with, with such a demanding job that you have, now mm-hmm. you're on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. But, but like you mentioned, yeah. Grace is, is in Seattle. So, I mean, that's yeah. nice. You don't have to travel across the country to get together. And yeah, I mean, great. I think that you're living a very purposeful life, and I think that's what I'm getting out of this. That you you made some decisions that were right for you, and mm-hmm. I I mean, my husband lived with this motto, you know, it is what it is, a life of no regret. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're an mm-hmm. engineer, that's really simple to say because that's just how their brains are functioning. They're just logical. They don't yeah. waste their time in extra words. Um, but in some ways it's still so apropos because while it is what it is, that doesn't mean I would always say, yeah, but to be honest with you, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, but, you know, we can make adjustments and you've, you've outlined in this book, those adjustments that other people like, like the lady in the produce store, you know, that says, man, I'm, you know, you don't even know how many people you've touched that have been blessed by your experience, and I'm sure yeah. that warms your heart. I'm I'm sure that it does, it does. because it this does. is really inspiring. Yeah. And I'm, your next book is going to be equally inspiring when you find the time to write it. Right? Yes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> well, I'm going to be writing. But thank you. Yeah, I, I have to say, hearing you share that that reflection means a lot because I, I do think that I was meant to help women and, and people in going through this mm-hmm. difficult time. And I'm feeling very fortunate that um, this book hopefully helps to do that. And also spending time with you on this podcast helps to do that because I think there's many ways to connect with people and have them reflect on that if they're going through this challenging time, that there is a way to, to be happy at the end of it, that your children can be happy Yes, spouse can be happy that 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 can be a goal and that it's actually attainable and that you know, right. the concept of this good divorce that I've tried to tried to coin is something that I really want people to believe is attainable. So thank you for for letting me share share some stories that kind of bring that to life. Well, this has been a sensational conversation, and um, it is a blessing for me and you might imagine from my perspective what it's like for me to be able to have the story of my guests be shared because I'm interested. I'm not just doing this to do a fundamental thing, oh, well, i got to show whatever. I mean, it's genuine because people can tell when you're not genuine. When that lady stopped you in the market, she didn't have to. Yeah. You know, no, she, like, she stopped you in the yeah. market because you had an impact on her life. And so that yeah. was a two-way gift. She yeah. she thanked you, and you it was a two-way yeah. gift, most definitely. Yeah. And that's how I feel yeah. about podcasting. It's a it's a mm-hmm. two-way gift. There's there's no podcast yeah. without guests. And I'm doing yeah. something. We I'm going to just say this one last thing, and then I am going to let our yeah. listeners get on with their day, and you get on with yours. But mm-hmm. in all of the years that I have been podcasting, I have never taken. A Monday off and I'm actually mm-hmm. doing some self-care for me and I'm mm-hmm. only going to do one more show in December with a young man that lives in Quibbon 
Massachusetts, who was a guest with me okay. earlier this year. He's he he okay. he has he runs a writers group, and then I'm going to Great. take the last two weeks of December off, and my son and daughter-in-law, who I've not seen since the pandemic, are coming to town mm-hmm. from Tucson, and oh, I, I thought this is an you know I do too, because. Yeah. You know, this is this is my act of self-care for me, and I think that mm-hmm. we all need yeah. to do that, whether you're in the process of a good divorce or whatever. Maybe you're just really yeah. having stress in your life. So self-care is important, but I just want to thank you, Sarah, for spending this time with me and sharing your story because we just never know who we touch by that. So. Thank you so so very much for spending this this Monday with me. It's just been wonderful. Well, and thank you for having me, Marcia. I've so enjoyed our conversation, and I really appreciate um, all your thoughts and reflections, and allowing me to spend time with you. So thank you. Okie dokie. So everyone, go thank out you. there, do your shopping, be safe, be well, do whatever you need to do in your community to stay healthy, and I'll see you again next week. Bye for now, everybody.